I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the New Statesman podcast that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week, we're talking about the Bradley Cooper remake of A Star is Born and the third series of The Good Place. We've also been watching some early episodes of Bojack Horseman. So we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Hello. And welcome back to another episode of Seriously. It's beautiful autumnal weather in London. I've been re-watching Gilmore Girls with my dog. It's just it's just dreamy. I'm pretty sure this weekend was the perfect weekend in London. And also when the weather's like sunny but cold, you don't even feel bad about not going outside and doing things instead like going to the cinema and watching TV. <laughs> so what more could you ask for? Yeah, it's really peak podcast time, I feel. Mm, yeah, it's beautiful. I feel I've seen you doing lots of beautiful autumnal walks with your dog as well. Yes, the village that we live in was almost certainly designed with this specific time of year in mind. Mm -hmm. Like the trees and the plants are clearly intended for maximum fall foliage. And uh, my dog loves to crunch in leaves and also particularly enjoys leaping into huge piles of them and snuffling about. So he's very happy. Oh, that's so adorable. I almost don't want to carry on with the podcast and just talk about <laughs> our dogs for an hour. But alas, <laughs> that's, that's, that's not... a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so the first thing that we're going to talk about this week is the new version of A Star is Born, which is a remake of a film that's appeared three times before at this point. So not in 1937, in 1954 and in 1976. Some of the writing and acting talent from previous versions includes Dorothy Parker, Judy Garland, Joan Didion and Barbara Streisand. This new version marks both Bradley Cooper's directorial debut and Lady Gaga's first appearance in a feature film as the wannabe pop star Ali, who encounters Cooper's brooding troubled musician, Jackson Maine. So Jackson Maine is a kind of... Um, I don't know what the analogue for him would really be because he's kind of somewhere between like a great country musician and also like, I don't know, I feel like he could be like a Kings of Leonie style person at the same time because he seems to be playing mm. sort of like stadium rocky country music rather than straightforward country music. I think it's like U2 or something like that. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, so like 
slightly but, I mean obviously he's not Bono but like you, you know what I mean it's that kind of um slightly country inflected songwriting but with like rock sounds yeah I feel like he's aesthetically different from yeah from aesthetically Mutie. he's like he's like Billy Ray Cyrus mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and very much you know he's like from Arizona on a pecan ranch which is a part of the film I, I found very funny do you ranch nuts? I thought it was just animals. But okay, yeah. So he's very much got like a kind of Wild West vibe about him, I think is what we're trying to say. Yeah. So the opening of the film basically sees him serendipitously end up in a gay bar in what part of America? It remains unclear. It remains unclear. Yeah. No idea. <laughs> there he encounters Lady Gaga's Ali as she does a performance of La Vie en Rose. And he just becomes completely taken with this performance. And the, the backstory to the film is that that Bradley Cooper was thinking of remaking A Star Is Born and then saw at some sort of celebrity charity event Lady Gaga performing La Vie en Rose and was like, there she is. That's my yeah, Mrs. Jackson Maine. I guess this kind of recreation of a real moment between Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. And then he kind of takes her under his wing as a musician, he becomes interested in her songwriting, um, you know, shares the stage with her, really pushes her forward uh, in her musical career. Um, and A Star Is Born, as we mentioned, is a, an old, old story. And it's essentially the story of a fading star and a rising star. And that's where kind of most of the conflict from the film comes from. But the previous versions of which I've actually only seen one are kind of I want to say like maximalist musicals which involve like a level of fantasy and drama and this Mm -hmm. has all that but I feel like Bradley Cooper's vision was to remake A Star Is Born in a much more down-to-earth gritty realistic feeling way it does it's not something like La La Land that's a big fantasy-esque dreams bleeding into reality style musical and I think crucially he's made the decision to make all the singing in the musical kind of like um I think you call it diegetic which just means like it's it's what the other the the characters know they're singing yeah yeah and it's like music that is happening because someone's on a stage or someone's in rehearsal not because they've just become so overwhelmed with feeling that they're singing in their normal conversation in a lift with a stranger so he's and I mean, that's not the that's not the only thing that makes it um, kind of down to earth. Obviously, you can have a musical that does that and is still kind of overblown and melodramatic and fantastical. Um, but this is this is a different approach to um, musicals. It's 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 a musical, but it doesn't necessarily feel like one in in a lot of the qualities that it has. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think in some of the decisions they've made around the plot as well, they've tried to emphasise that um, element of realism. I don't want to say that it's realistic because it's not. It is essentially a fairy story. It's a kind of Cinderella uh, spin and all of the films Mm. are the same. For instance, the fact that after she first goes on stage with Jackson Maine and they have this incredible like 
alchemical moment where they've, they're sort of writing a song together and then it all comes together in front of this huge crowd. There's reference to the fact that like someone's filmed this on their phone and it's got thousands of hits on YouTube and that's why a manager is interested in meeting with her and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So he's tried to make it like vaguely plausible for 2018 that this is how somebody would shoot to fame from after like a chance meeting in a bar. Yeah, and like you can see those decisions right at the level of like cinematography and stuff. So I feel like musicals so often have these like grand sweeping zoom out shots where you see like, you know, all the dancers dancing mm-hmm. in in sync and stuff. Whereas this is a film that's like really tried to move away from that and instead has like 60 bazillion close-ups. <laughs> yeah, scene. it's very tight on the faces, this film, at yeah. all times. It reminds me of... Um, uh, you know the uh, Les Miserables film mm. with um, Anne Hathaway and Hugh Jackman and Russell Crowe and everybody. And that film, I think it was Tom Hooper who directed it, that film got parodied a lot for its incredibly tight close-ups, mm. which apparently the director did in order to prove that the stars were actually singing a mm. lot of the time. This is very much the same as that. You know, it's like the the camera is often so close that like not even Bradley Cooper's whole face fits on the screen. It's like forehead to mouth type thing. Totally. It's it's still, I, I keep wanting to use words like melodramatic, which then I'm like, wait, how do I actually mentally define those terms? Because as you say, this is still kind of a fantastical story, but the way they speak to each other feels a lot more grounded and, you know, their, their yeah. arguments feel realistic um, in the way that their resentments kind of come out between each other. And I mean, we can get into so many levels of comparison between that. So the one that I know is the Judy Garland, A Star is Born, which I think is probably the most famous of the other three versions of it and probably considered the best of the other three versions of it you know you can get into loads of details of comparison with that but I think one thing that's that's interesting obviously is attitudes to gender have changed so much since 1954 Mm -hmm. one decision I thought was really good was that I liked that Lady Gaga's character had a lot of anger because in the 1954 version with Judy Garland she's kind of free of any resentment towards her husband even though he is making all these really terrible decisions and he is finding it so difficult to free himself from his addiction and i i it's not that i don't think that that's you know a good way to be i just found it unrealistic i think most people in that scenario would have a lot more resentment and anger and yeah i liked that they they decided to give lady gaga some of those feelings and she has boundaries as well, doesn't she? You know, she she isn't just completely accepting. Like she, one of the thing, the dynamics in the film that I found interesting was that it sort of maybe tries to suggest that putting up with Jackson Maine's terrible alcoholic behaviour is just the price she has to pay for stardom. But actually, she says no. You will be reliable Mm. you will turn up to things and you will be supportive Uh, Mm. otherwise this relationship doesn't work for me which I think is interesting because I do think that perhaps in earlier versions there is more of a sense of like you know he's a patron and she's Mm -hmm, a starlet and she just has to be grateful so and I think a lot of that does live in the nuance of Bradley Cooper's performance as well that he does fight that feeling himself like there is this whole suggestion that he's maybe jealous of her success or he doesn't quite like the direction that her music's taken because it's like too poppy and not 
quote, authentically gritty enough, like the stuff that he does, which is Mm. a dichotomy that I have a problem with for other reasons. But I do think it's an interesting way that the film explores their relationship. Yeah. And that's something that I've seen a lot of discussion about as well is Jackson Maine is very interested in authenticity and his whole brand as a as a character and as a as an artist in within the context of the film is this kind of like very authentic hyper masculine rock and roll Mm. you know the addiction is kind of is folded into that and Ali is although all that that's those qualities of like authenticity and kind of grittiness are what attracts Jackson Maine to Ali. As her pop career goes on, it becomes much more polished and colourful and she dyes her hair and it it becomes much poppier, as you say. And she does dancing and stuff. Yeah, she does dancing and she sings about people's sexy asses. And I've seen a lot of discussion of whether or not the film projects a narrative of kind of like authentic rock music being more important Mm. and significant and sincere than pop music or you know and whether for example the pop song that that lady that ali sings about um you know that your ass looks good in those jeans whether that's meant to be like a bad song fundamentally or whether the film has an awareness that the kind of dichotomy set up by jackson maine in his head between rock music and pop music is like stupid and that the pop song actually is meant to be good and that's why it's on the soundtrack and that's why people enjoy it and i i don't know if i've really decided which which line i take on that but i think it is i I was interested to see so many people like some people came out of the film like vehemently like god that was so snobby about pop music and some people came out being like god i'm so glad that that film skewered rockism so piercingly and it's funny that it hasn't made itself, and maybe that's a good thing that it hasn't made itself preachy. So it's not possible to to take a kind of line one way or the other. But for me, I'm, I'm sort of undecided what I think it was doing with that. Yeah, I think I eventually decided that the film is deliberately trying to be all things to all people and not necessarily just on this one issue. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think you can absolutely validly see both interpretations in it. The elements of both are there and similarly I th- I had a conversation while I was in the queue for the loo afterwards with some women who were like oh I really found I really thought that like the way their relationship started was really exploitative like the way that you know he sends his private jet for her and then like physically pulls her on stage even though she like says she doesn't want to that's not very nice and like the fact that they then end up in bed together afterwards seems inevitable and you know like he's taking advantage and like using his fame to like get in her pants whatever um and I was like oh that's really not how it struck me but I can totally see how that would strike you that way totally you know and I read a really po-faced article that was like why I can't get behind A Star Is Born. And it was like, this film is a portrait of an abusive relationship and it's presented positively and unquestionably and therefore I can't get behind it. And I kind of disagree with that on two levels in that, in that one, I don't think you can concretely call it an abusive relationship like that, even if they sometimes were horrible to each other in ways that might be considered mm-hmm. abusive. Um, B, I don't think it is presented as an unquestionably positive like good relationship for either no, of them it's complicated and sometimes horrible and sometimes falls on this line somewhere between just like a normal argument and abuse as a lot of relationships between people often do because relationships with people are like complicated and not necessarily always good for both people and you know I found I found that slightly 
difficult to get on board with, but it did raise another point that I had also been thinking about, which is a huge spoiler for the film, but I would quite like to talk about. So are we going to go full spoiler, Caroline? I, I think so. I also, because I think, although you might not know the ending of this film, this film has been done three times before with the same ending. Yeah. So yeah. So if you if you haven't seen it yet, stop listening now. Skip ahead maybe two minutes to the next item. But I, that it's mentioned that it felt that suicide was potentially handled in a potentially glorifying way in this movie, mm. and I did have, I did struggle with um, the way that suicide was presented in this film, not only because I felt it was portrayed very explicitly which you know it's difficult because the film involves suicide that's like one of the main plot points in all of these movies so yeah. they had to include it and isn't is showing suicide always such a terrible thing to do i you know it's not fair for me really to be so preachy and hardline about it but i just felt like we it was such it was quite a long and quite a um suspenseful scene the scene where the suicide yeah. finally occurs and i didn't i didn't love that i didn't love the one shot of the garage where you can see through the garage window i didn't feel like that was necessary yeah. i felt like we'd all got the point i didn't i also didn't love the involvement of the, the dog. dog um like yeah. sitting outside because as we know from many articles on the internet loves the fact that bradley cooper's actual dog plays his dog in this film and some of the earlier scenes of them together are just pure bliss mm -hmm. um you know there is like man dog chemistry mm -hmm. like you never see in a film and then i think that gets kind of exploited as part of the suicide scene when the dog comes and sits sadly outside the garage door through which you can sort of maybe see what's happened inside and that was one of the only points because this I mean maybe we should just say this explicitly like this is a pretty cheesy movie like in all regards uh, and the rest of the time I was kind of on board with how how it does that but that was the one time when I was like I don't appreciate the way my <laughs> emotions being have just been played on I don't like it <laughs> yeah. you know yeah I get that but for me the problem was more that I just felt like you know, this was a this was a story about someone who who felt their reputation was irreparably damaged, and in suicide, kind of regains some of their old yeah. reputation, and that for me felt a little bit, you know, like Kurt Cobain. It's better to burn out than fade away, and I, and mm -hmm. I don't I don't like that message, and I don't I don't know. You know, the film was definitely wasn't trying to present suicide is a good like good thing i'm not like being a total idiot it's not that i saw the film and was like wow they were so pro suicide in that film but i didn't like the way that the the media at least sort of then started to take him seriously as a musician again after he committed suicide and you know maybe that's maybe that's realistic but i just find it slightly slightly anxiety inducing that that, that is a narrative that we would put forward in such a ma major movie but I can accept that I think I'm probably I'm probably being oversensitive there because I haven't seen very many um, smart people also making that <laughs> critique. Yeah, I, I like I said, I do think there are elements of that in there. But I do also think the way I kind of read it coming out was that what it's trying to say is that that is what someone like Jackson Maine would think. Yeah, yeah. If you know what I mean, that like it's kind of consistent with his other behaviour and his other thoughts about like what makes a musician authentic etc cetera, etc cetera. of course that doesn't 
necessarily change the fact that that's how it looks to the viewer um, totally but or also even I, even yeah. suicide is like a, a romantic gesture in some way because there's also yeah. an implication that he's doing it for his for his wife and um i don't i don't like that either because obviously and we do to be fair the film presents this very clearly but all she would want is for him to be alive that's that's the only thing that he could do yeah that would she be makes good that very clear and they yeah. do make that very clear Yes, there's been loads of buzz around this movie and a lot of people are saying that this might be one a film that has a real shot at, for the first time in years, picking up all of the five big Oscars. Best picture, best director, mm. best um, actor, best actress and best song. Is that, the, is that number five? Best, best original song? Yeah. Would it be that one? Yeah. I guess that must be it. Yeah, I think that could happen because, I mean, the soundtrack, I mean, not that the Oscars necessarily takes popularity into account, but I do think that there's that slightly indefinable quality of like momentum and buzz that feeds into how people on awards juries vote. And like the soundtrack is, I think, still top of the charts um, in the US. You know, I think I saw the film two weeks after it was released on a Friday night and the cinema was full. Yeah. It's it's definitely doing very well. Yeah. And I think, you know, for Bradley Cooper, you know, directorial debut, I didn't, there's lots of things that I didn't enjoy about this film and there are lots of things I did really enjoy about this film. But I think whatever you want to say about it, he had a very clear vision and he followed through with it and he achieved mm-hmm. what he wanted to achieve with the film. Like it's a new version of an old story told in a very specific way that clearly must have been his vision from the start because you don't you don't end up with a film that's kind of that aesthetically and narratively cohesive without being like, right, this is my project. And he achieved yeah. it. And yeah, I think that's that's an incredible achievement for a first time director, even even if you've got like the massive Hollywood machine behind you in a way that Bradley Cooper clearly has. Um, so I was yeah, I was impressed. And I, you know, it wouldn't be I, I haven't seen enough of the other films coming out to know whether it would be particularly my choice to to win those awards at the Oscars. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be mad about it. No, me neither. And also just as a little coda, I wanted to point people who have heard the the main song, Shallow, to, I think it's a McSweeney's article, which um, imagines different situations in which it would be appropriate to make the noise that Lady Gaga makes in the bridge. Have you seen this? Or she goes like, um, that whole thing. Yeah, where she does like a really extended ah <laughs> sort of rising ah noise. Um, we'll link it below. It's uh, yeah, I think you'll all appreciate it very much. Okay, great. Cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So now we're going to talk about series three of The Good Place, which is an NBC sitcom created by Michael Schur, who's also known for his work on the US office, Parks and Recreation and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It stars Kristen Bell as Eleanor Shellstrop, a selfish, lazy woman who mistakenly gets sent to heaven instead of hell after she dies in a supermarket trolley accident. So spoilers abound for The Good Place. If you know anything about it, you'll know that there is a big twist towards the end of series one. So if you have been meaning to watch it but haven't got around to it yet, skip this entire section because I don't think we can talk about series three at all without obliquely referencing what has happened before. Totally. And also probably not without also spoiling a lot of season two. So if you haven't seen season one or you haven't finished season two or whatever, like, sorry spoilers ahead this is a discussion of season three of the good place so we're going to be talking Mm -hmm. about season three so there will be spoilers for those first two seasons so season three comes after really kind of two major twists right so the the twist in the first series was the just intensely memeable and great twist we're actually in the bad place this has been the bad place all Mm -hmm. along great everyone loves that uh, and then the second series is about is it's it's kind of a bit more tricky because it's them trying to get to the good place from the bad place. And one of the major twists it involves sort of Michael's involvement with the with the bad place in the first place and then whether or not he's yes. gonna help them get to the actual good place and his character kind of has to go through lots of changes in order for them to to successfully at least try to get to the actual good place and then Season three begins with another really, really bold decision. You know, it's quite a bold decision to make a show about, quote, the good place and then be like, actually, it was the bad place all along. Like, it's quite it's mm-hmm. quite a big rug to pull from underneath the viewer's feet. And then they've kind of made another bold departure in that they're like, OK, we're going to go back to Earth for season three. Yeah, now we're neither in the good place or the bad place. And they sort of reset everything and put all the characters back on earth back in their original lives before they died um and there's been quite there was quite a lot of fan speculation um in the run-up to the start of series two where people saying like oh you know it's just putting them back on earth is just an exercise to prove whether they could become good people and then once that is satisfied you know those criteria satisfied they'll be actually back in the sort of um what would you call like the afterlife scenario again but um i think this was one of the shows that was quite big at the San Diego Comic-Con this year and that all the write-ups of the panels there, the creators were like, no, no, they are just alive again. We're just we're just going back to that. We're just resetting it and doing it again. Like this isn't some kind of 
hypothetical exercise. We have just brought the characters back to life and they're now on different timelines and we're going to see what happens from there. Totally. And resetting is the key word because in the second series, the whole premise was about resetting the scenario every episode. So Mm. all of the relationships that we'd intensely watched unfold in the first season suddenly came to nothing in the second season. So they had like their memories wiped and they didn't know each other in the way that we had seen them get to know each other. So Again, really bold decision. Third season, we're sending them back to Earth. All of the details of setting and tone that, and all the humor that came from that sitcom environment is just being thrown out the window and we're making it a completely different show by putting them back on Earth. And yeah, this is, this is a show that's defined by its willingness to totally reinvent itself, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And so far, I'm enjoying the the move to Earth. I don't know how long it will last, but um, it's it, they've 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 quite skillfully managed to make the tone so strong that actually it doesn't matter too much when all the other stuff gets rocked and played around with a lot. Like it's not it's not a life or death scenario for the show. And one thing that I thought I would really miss in the move to Earth was all the jokes. You know, they have so many very specific niche little jokes about like um what 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 might what might be in hell and it'll be like oh Mm -hmm. it's the first man to grow white dreadlocks and name frisbee ultimate frisbee like all the little things that people find really annoying become like put in this context where they're like the worst possible thing imaginable and like uh, the show mines a lot of humor from that and I was like, God, how's it going to survive losing those kinds of things? But actually, because we still have the Michael character and we still have Janet, we ha- still have these characters who are from the afterlife world, who are play- yes. big, important players, um, that we don't lose a lot. Like A lot of that still remains. So it survives. <laughs> yeah. What I'm finding really interesting as well is how much the show is now relying on the viewer's prior knowledge of the characters, even as the characters don't actually know those things about themselves Mm -hmm. anymore. Um, So, for instance, Eleanor's character in the first two series, she's been like slowly building this passion for fellow afterlife torturee Chidi. Mm -hmm. Then they've been reset back on Earth and she's never heard of him before and has no idea who he is and we over the first few episodes of series of three we see them like finding each other again and they are right back at the beginning of their relationship in a kind of student teacher mode but as the viewer you're like well we know where this ends up we know you fall in love with him so there's that kind of tension of expectation which is quite a complicated layer for a sitcom I totally. think to have yeah it relies on kind of this belief in the idea that the characters will be drawn together again and obviously part of that is just a belief in the inherent mechanisms that drive the show needing to continue for the show to survive so like you know a behind the scenes element of knowledge that actually these are the lead actors Mm -hmm. so they are going to reappear or at least you would expect them to but also it kind of invites you to suspend your disbelief a little bit and just believe that these characters have inherent impact on one another um that would mean that they were drawn to each other again and again or make the same kinds of decisions in their dynamics again and again even if it's not necessarily you know a case of them always being romantically interlinked in the same way just that they would treat each other in vaguely similar ways and be willing to help Mm. each other and stuff like that and i actually find that a really moving and quite like hopeful message for the show to have you know the show 
basically it's driving messages that like people have an impact on each other often or often or sometimes for the better and we should nurture it and like it's simple and it's cheesy and whatever but I like it and I like the ways that it's kind of doing this like very ironic meta you know comedic exercise in basically proving that premise again and again (laughs) that to me is kind of like a really cool thing for a show to set out to do be like let's show how people are a good force for one another but make it really funny (laughs) yeah that is essentially it Uh, the idea that uh, so as you mentioned in series two the good place the fake good place neighborhood where they are gets reset over and over and over again their memories are wiped but every time a few things turned out the same, which is that Eleanor always eventually worked out that they were actually in the bad place, not the good place. And the four of them became friends in some cases more than in some scenarios, more than friends, but every time they became a strong group of friends. Um, And so that's kind of what's now being put in practice back in their real human lives because they didn't know each other in the first scenario prior to their Mm. deaths. This time they do. Um, And so, yeah, it's just to see the whole the whole thing is yeah a fairly uplifting experiment in whether people can help each other get better yeah exactly i like that and yeah i find it really hard and i do think it's really funny um and like just really small lines are the things that like get me every time and i just think it's like sometimes you know i feel like the writers change a lot episode to episode which which is kind of in keeping with this resetting kind of thesis that it has, Mm. that it changes week to week. So you get like different lead writers seemingly every week, if if you look at the credits. And so that means some episodes feel more successful to me than others. And it's like kind of patchy sometimes for me in quality and that some episodes make me laugh a lot more than others. But I kind of don't mind it almost because I'm like well that's kind of in keeping with the show (laughs) um and Mm. I like that you know there's there's just it's just still manages to maintain a really strong identity and a really strong tone um despite all that you know like stupid jokes about philosophy reliably make me laugh but just like stupid things like I really enjoyed um Eleanor saying that she thought um Aristotle was pronounced like Chipotle and then she was like, wait, <laughs> yes. wait, is it like, I can't even remember exactly what she Aristotle. Yeah, Aristotle. Is it actually Aristotle? <laughs> um, and yeah, just stupid things like that. They're so silly, but it manages to weave them in in such a nice way. And the characters are so colourful and bouncy. And yeah, I just, it's kind of irresistible. Yeah, I also think given the show's pedigree with major twists and complete reformattings, that they have to have something like that coming up Mm. this series as well. I think it would be a real departure of a not so good kind if now that they've all been put back on earth and they're back alive again, that it just carried on like a sort of family saga show from there. There has to be another big afterlife based twist to it. Um, So yeah, I'm partly watching to see what that is as well as because I just find the basic dynamic of it amazing. yeah i'm sure the fan theories are sort of going wild online though i can't say i'm super immersed in the good place fandom so i can't say for sure but <laughs> i can imagine that there's some bright people out there who've already kind of predicted what twist is coming and also i like that it makes light of it like you know in the sh- in the second season it was like 
when Eleanor was given a test, she was like, wait, this is the test. And then they were like, no, this isn't the test. <laughs> like even the characters are sort of preempting <laughs> these big twists. Um, so yeah, I like that it kind of has a sense of humor with all that. But I'm really excited to see what in what direction it goes next. We'll have to hold on to our hats mm. and see. So now we're going to talk a little bit about BoJack Horseman, something that Caroline have, and I have both seen a little bit of, but I feel like maybe I'd seen more than you. So I kind of recommended for you to get more acquainted with the first season of BoJack Horseman. If I remembered that right. Yeah. So I had watched, I think, two or three episodes before last week, and I've now watched another three. And... I hadn't like intentionally neglected it by any means. I had heard very good reports of it, I think from you and others, but there's a lot of TV in the world. You can't keep up with everything. And Bojack Horseman was just something that I'd kind of opted out of. I'd even heard um, there's an episode of the Song Exploder podcast with the people who wrote the theme tune for Bojack Horseman, um, where they like take that apart and explain it. And I'd even listened to that and enjoyed it and not then got further into the show. So, uh, yeah, no, so I have now watched, yeah, half a dozen episodes of the first series and I think I'm hooked. I definitely have caught myself hankering to watch it in the last few days. Yeah, I think it's so good and I think one of my favourite things about it is just it's so, it's like a Hollywood satire. Like, that's mm-hmm. essentially what it is and like, you know, it's kind of creating a safe distance with, you know, all the animals and stuff so that it can kind of be like, yeah, this isn't a show about Hollywood. It's a show about a horse. But like, obviously it is a show about Hollywood and also just like people making bad decisions. And yes, um, how you kind of cope with the idea that you've done bad things and stuff. Um, but yeah, I love all the kind of like you know the references to Andrew Garfield and <laughs> things like that I just they just reliably really tickle me um and you know they did they do such a great um there's an episode I think in the second se- season where they do a really good kind of uh prescient look at what happens when someone that you've got like a relationship with gets accused of basically abuse mm. um and that was that was really really good um, I, I think I'm now in season three and I'm like, there's something's happened that I'm like really struggling with where um, Bojack makes a decision. Or, Bojack basically almost, almost does a really, really bad thing. And then like circumstantially, some someone prevents him from doing it, but not not because of his own moral compass. Right, it's just like circumstantially interrupted. And it's a really, really bad thing. And... I feel like the show is trying to have its cake and eat it by like making him almost do it, but like get interrupted. But I don't know. I see. Right. I feel like it couldn't, it couldn't, it couldn't make us hate him enough to actually see him do it, but also made him bad enough to do it. And like, I'm like, well, I'm not going to forgive him just because it didn't actually happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like why, I don't know. I just feel really, I feel really conflicted about it. And I'm sure that's exactly what the show wants me to feel. Um, but yeah, so there's, it, it's so kind of morally and existentially difficult, this show, and it's trying to make you feel uncomfortable a lot of points. So I do think it's really good. I'm just like, I'm suddenly having a moment where I'm like, if you'd asked me last week, I would have just been like, yeah, this show's amazing. It's so good. <laughs> and now I'm having a moment where I'm like, wait, 
what just happened. I don't feel good about this. I don't care about whether Bojack thinks he's a good or bad person anymore because I don't like him. I don't give a shit what he thinks about himself. I'm just like, I don't like you. I've moved on. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to me. I, but I still love all the all the Hollywood humor. I think it's really, really spot on. It's it's really clever and smart, and um, I am enjoying that a lot. And I can only say I think based on the enthusiasm of other people in my life for like subsequent series, I think it must pull out of this part that you're in now. Yeah, um, we'll see. <laughs> I hope it's not just that everyone else is like, oh yeah, whatever, I'm over it. I yeah. don't care. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the case. So we'll see how how I continue to get on with it. Uh, for next week, I have a show that I'd like to recommend you. I just did my column on it for the magazine, New Statesman magazine. And uh, it is a cookery show available on Netflix. Um, it is called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. And it's Salmon Nosrat's um, cooking show. And basically she wrote a James Beard award-winning cookery book called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Um, and I think it's like Mastering the Elements of Good Cooking or something. It's like the subtitle. Yeah, I've and- got the book. It's really good. Oh, right. Great. And yeah, so... I love that the first episode is all about fat and the way that fat is like such a key element to cooking and how entire cuisines are basically defined by the fats that they cook in. So mm. whether that's like Southern American cuisine relying heavily on bacon, fat and lard or like French cuisine being really into like really rich butter or my favorite, which is the road that she actually goes down in the first episode quite intensely is the way that Italian cuisine is just completely defined by amazing olive oil. So yeah, and also she so they they managed to do an entire episode about fat without once mentioning the word like calorie, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I adore. <laughs> That's um, exciting. Yeah, or naughty or even like do you know what I mean? Like even nodding vaguely to the fact right. that it might be calorie rich. I was like, thank God, because I just don't care for that level of discourse. Um, so yeah, I think you'll really enjoy it. And um, I, yeah, I'm just a huge fan of hers and I think it's great. Mm, can't wait. Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? We're available in all the usual places you get podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts, where you could leave us a rating and a review if you fancy. It makes us happy and it also helps other people find the show. If you'd like to come and see us in person, check out the events page of our website, seriouslypod.com slash events. Details of our next pop culture quiz and anything else we're doing will appear there. We're available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're Seriously Pod on all of them. Follow us to keep up with what we're up to or to chat to other listeners about things you've enjoyed on the show. We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 